My guest today is none other than Phil Lewis, who most of you will know from LA Guns. Um, but we're going to take a little walk down Phil's memory lane and see what he can remember and and I can remember without getting too lost in it. So, yep. what we're going to do is start with um with Girl, and Girl meant the world to me. Um, I was 12, 13 maybe. I was into Kiss, Adam and the Ants. And one day, the guy in my local record shop uh, handed me these two albums by Girl. I think you'd split up by then. Oh, and yeah. said, you're going you're gonna to love this band. And I bought them on faith. And I did. And what, what was odd was uh, I had no idea you'd split up because that's not the way the world worked then. No. It was probably about four years later that I actually figured that out. But you were, because I was so big into US rock, maybe, you know, what we were presented to as, uh, presented with as a UK youth at the time, which was Adam and the Ants that drifted into Duran Duran. Mm-hmm. Girl never really caught the attention of the of the mags like Sounds and Melody Maker, because this is pre-Karang. Yeah. And I was just wondering, you know, they, it meant the world to me, but in hindsight... What, what did girl mean to you? Uh, well, you know, at the time it meant everything. And, and uh, you know, it's interesting because you said that, you know, when you were like 12 or 13, you were like a sponge uh, for, for new music. And I was exactly the same growing up in London. And uh, I'm about four, four or five years older than you. Um, and for me, uh, it was, it was, it, you said it, you, Adam and the Ants. For me, it was Black Sabbath. It was Deep Purple. It was Humble Pie. And these were bands, you know, they were, they were breaking, but you could still see them in, in, in like a hall, um, like a university hall. I saw a lot of gigs, uh, uni, uni gigs um, in the West End. Uh, amazing, amazing stuff. Um, and it was just kind of a calling. It was just, wow, I really, really want to do this. Um, <laughs> there was just, just one small minor detail I hadn't taken into account, as I had no musical talent whatsoever. <laughs> uh, I, I never I, stopped I, you know, anyone else. I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't I, you know, I couldn't write a song, couldn't hold a note. I, but uh, it's just something that I felt really to my core, that something that I had to do. And... Um, I, I I put some ideas together. I I I was actually pre-girl. Uh, I was in a theater company called Incubus, uh, and and we were uh, in the play um, a punk rock band that had zoomed in from outer space, and I was the guitar player, Snake Hips, and and ironically enough, most of my lines were just "L.A. man." <laughs> I can't <laughs> wait to get so uh, so. I, I put a rudimentary um, guitar style together, uh, really basic, you know, just E, D, G, you know, this stuff. And, and, and uh, somehow or other, I got the gig. I got the, the acting gig with the, with, the, with the music acting thing. Uh, but that was only going to last for a year. Uh, and, and I did it, and I, and I loved it. I enjoyed it tremendously. And at the end of the year, they said, well, do you want to stay in the theatre? And I said, are you going to do music? Are you going to, no, no, it's just, you know, strictly, you know, drama, strictly acting. I was like, no, no, I don't want to do that. I want to, I want to, this is when I decided I want to form a band. So I went, um, so I had a few bucks, a few, a few quid. And I, I rented a uh, four track studio uh, in Gerrard Street in Soho. And I record four or five songs. Uh, there was a guy I knew on the circuit. Um, I'd been doing like open mic nights and I'd been like, you know, really heavily. And there was a big music scene. Everybody could play guitar. Everybody could, um, knew somebody that was in, it, it was six degrees of separation from, from anything, anyone, you know, like Led Zeppelin, Pink Floyd, you knew somebody that worked for them or was involved with them or a girlfriend or something like that. Um, sadly long, that community is long, long gone. Oh yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah. And so, um, John Benson was the chap who was, uh, helping me produce it, put it together. I'd never been in a studio before. 
um, but I had these songs. And he brought down a couple of guys uh, to play. Uh, he brought Simon Laffey down to play bass. Um, and his brother, Jerry, came down with him just to hang out at the studio, this tiny little studio in Chinatown. Uh, and Jerry came down, and, and although he didn't play on my first initial demo session, um, we hit it off. We were talking and, you know, talking about bands. So we were both mad about this band, Japan, at the time. It was just like this, this band had come out of nowhere. They were completely androgynous. They were heavy as fuck. Um, and, and, you know, for both of us, we just thought they were going to be the new Beatles. And you know what uh, was really strange? I was going to throw that at you, and I decided not to. I was going to say that there are real uh, overtones or undertones, don't know, of Japan on those yeah. girl albums. Yeah. yeah, Adolescent sex and obscure alternatives, which David Sylvian since dismissed and threw in the trash, are two of my favourite albums of all Absolutely. time. Absolutely. so good. Absolutely. Absolute complete masterpieces. And and uh, just just so ahead of their time. I mean, not even ahead of their time. Just completely in their own time. They were like nothing. Um, yeah, nothing, nothing you ever heard of. And 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 uh, yeah, they blew us away. A huge, huge influence, and and a, a big influence on the way we looked because you know they were pretty boys and they were wearing makeup, but they were straight. They weren't gay. Um, and and you know, like we we, we were we were a much more. Um, we were much dirtier. We had a lot more fun, you know, and you see girl pictures and you see Japan pictures. They're very like stuck up and they're very, you know, like posing and you see girl pictures and we're all having a laugh. And, you know, it was, it was it, that was the difference between the two bands, uh, even though musically they were light years ahead of us. <laughs> some of the, some of the stuff they did and, and it breaks my heart that David Sylvian is so dismissive of those first two records um, because uh, it, it, that was the soundtrack for two years, um, those two records. And um, after they did that, when they started to go into the sort of dozy, poncy, gentleman take Polaroids, lost me overnight. Me too. But, the, but those first two records, yeah, they, they were huge influence. Um, so, you know, a lot like Japan Girl, um, it was a very short-lived project. So, yeah, we went from um, doing these demos in Gerard Street and, and listening to... Tom Petty was a big influence. The Cars were a big influence. Um, and and uh, just working uh, from our flat in... in uh, oh, I can't remember, South Cairn or somewhere. Uh, work putting some songs together and... Uh, First thing we put together was my number. It was a very sort of cars-like, chunky, um, and, and uh, keep it simple because we were incredibly simple. Um, and um, we 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 recorded it, and it sounded all right. It sounded half decent. Um, uh, Hollywood Tees was next, um, and at this time we decided that. Um, I wasn't really cutting it as a guitar player because I, you know, all I did was, you know, play a few chord bar chords. Oh, you were still a guitarist at this point. Oh, well, yeah, we were working okay. together. We, we hadn't done any gigs or anything, but, you know, we, we didn't even have a drummer at that point. But, um, yeah, the two of us would be chugging away on our fake Les Pauls, playing through our um, Valve State Marshals, <laughs> <laughs> um, thinking we were really the shit. Um, and then we said, well, we need a guitar player. It was decided that uh, I was going to be, become the singer. Jerry was going to play guitar, but we needed, you know, a flash guitarist. And we put an ad in Melody Maker, uh, peroxide guitarist wanted. And almost immediately we got a call from, a, hello, from, I'm from, my name's Phil. I live in Walthamstow. I'd be interested in coming down and checking you out. And he came down and, and, and we hit it off immediately. So uh, it was just a question of uh, finding the bass player. And Simon, as I said, was already played on my demos. Um, it's Jerry's brother. So he was recruited. Um, uh, and, and then we had a bunch of different drummers. Uh, we ended up with, with a guy called Dave Gaynor, who in retrospect is a little bit ploddy, but we weren't that good. It, we, you know, we weren't the kind of a band 
that that could use a syncopated drummer. You know, we just just, just we weren't Japan. What we needed was, you know, the, the meat and potatoes, solid four on the floor or the shuffle. And Dave Gaynor was the man to do it. Um, so we had a band. We did some demos. Um, and um, the, the concept of video was just, just starting around 78, 79. Um, and they were big old machines, like the size of a washing machine. And they had these cassettes uh, the size of a, of a, of a, of a small encyclopedia. Uh, and, and it was possible if you had a few Bob, um, to, to have your own video and, and we did. And so we're like, well, let's make it, let's make a video. So we, uh, we did a little scouting around, um, and we found a studio up in Muswell Hill that, that most of the time it was a porn studio, but they could give us a couple of hours, uh, between 11 and midnight uh, to come in and, and, and shoot our video and, and lip sync to it. And um, we went up and did that. I, I remember we didn't have any props. So there, there was one of, the, one of the guys, one of the camera guys had a really nice um, rice burner motorbike. I said, well, can we put that in the video then? So that's in there. Uh, and, and that was it. That was our debut uh, in this porn studio in Muswell Hill. So we had the song, we got the cassette. Uh, at the time I was, I was um, uh, romantically involved with, with a lady uh, considerably uh, older, wiser, and more mature than me, um, who uh, was involved in the music business. And uh, she, she had a lot of influence and she was managed by Donard. I'm talking about Britt Eklund. Yep. Uh, she, she was managed by Don Arden, who had Jet Records. And Jet Records at the time were just blowing up with um, uh, Electric Light Orchestra. And, and so they were, like, looking for new stuff. And, and Britt was like, oh, Don, darling, you're going to love my – look at this, this wonderful band. And she basically got us the record deal. He, he agreed to do it. He would never – there's no way we would have got the deal without her. Um, and, and so we were in, we were on, we had a band, we had a video, we had a record company and, and the world was our oyster. And, and, you know, like we were using Japan as the blueprint. Japan had like uh, splattered posters all over London um, and, and they looked fantastic, but, you know, you didn't really know uh, who, what they sounded like, what you know, didn't, you didn't, nobody else had ever been in any other bands. So it was a complete mystery. So, yeah, we followed that blueprint and, uh, and rather like Japan. And it didn't take too long because uh, we were just on cloud nine, just floating on a cloud. And then all of a sudden there was a backlash. They were like, You've, you pretty boys can fuck right off. We, 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 we spit rivets, see? We like, uh, we like venom. We like um, diamond head. We like working class bands. Um, you know, down, low down, dirty, you know, bands. And, and we were just absolutely not that. I mean, we were all from like, as I said, you know, we're like South London, West London, like not posh, but I mean, it's posh now, but yeah. it wasn't there. It, it, it wasn't then. And, and, and we were like, oh, fuck. So this is this, you know, the record had come mm. out, Sheer Greed had come out. And, and some people liked it. It was eclectic. It was weird. It was quirky. It was a couple of things on it that you could tap your toes to. It, it wasn't a bad record. It's a great um, record. We got, we, got, um, we got a lot of stick from, from uh, the media because it happened so quickly because of, you know, the Don Arden connection, the Brett Eklund connection. Uh, a lot of people felt that we hadn't paid our dues. So they were starting to get little chinks here in, in, in our, you know, our perfect armor. Uh, and I remember um, we were recording at Morgan Studios and Jeff Barton wanted to come down from Sounds and interview us. And um, he'd been very complimentary about the album, uh, Sheer Greed. He gave it a good review. Uh, but it was, it, it, we were really in a strange place, just like Japan, because we came out at exactly at the beginning of, 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 of a phase called the new wave of British heavy metal. And as I said, there were all these rivet heads um, 
you know, like Angel Witch and Diamond Head, all great, great heavy, yep. heavy, heavy bands in, 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 the, in the style and look of Metallica. And, and we, were, we were definitely, definitely not that. But what's so, strange about that is, but back, back then, you, you never, you know, your, your press releases and things, then no one ever said, this is a rock band or this is a glam rock band. or Everything was kind of just bundled together. Yeah. So for, for them to kind of lump you in with that shows the big holes in the, sure. well, there's nothing I else mean, to compare them to, you know? Right, exactly, and 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 rather like the same way they they categorized the police and Elvis Costello as punk rock. Yeah, and and you know absolutely not, but that was just how things were were boxed and packaged. So um, yeah, I mean, I remember listening back to to sheer greed and 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 loving some of it and and not being too thrilled with the rest of it, and then us going out. And, and, and that's, that's, you know, that's when things started. It, we, it was great in London. We could play two or three nights at the Marquee and we had our own crowd. But when we ventured out, we, we, we started to, to, to um, uh, get hostility and a lot of it. And um, it, it, it kind of it threw us out of whack. And, and it threw, it certainly threw Don Arden and, and, and Jet Records out of whack. And they're like, oh, oh, you know, like, you guys, you've got to change. You've, you've got to become metal. You've got to become street cred. Um, and, and so we did this sort of reinvention of ourselves uh, in between the two records. And it's amazing. It was only two years at the time. It, it felt like an eternity. Um, but going, going through that change, being, that being forced upon us, absolutely forced upon us. And, and so by the time we had to start recording uh, Wasted Youth. We were a band uh, that, 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 that lost its, its, its look, uh, lost its, its vibe. We, our vibe was like always experimental. Now it was like, we've got to focus, we've got to be like heavy, we've got to have something that they can mosh to. And, and um, it really wasn't us. And around that time, um, Lots of drugs are involved, lots of f- feeling sorry for ourselves involved. Um, Phil, Phil's about to get poached by um, Iron Maiden. Um, Jerry's had it. He, he doesn't want to do it anymore. He just wants to fuck off with his boyfriend and go to the south of France. And, and um, it was bad. It was really fucking bad. Um, and the second record came out, Wasted Youth came out. A couple of things on it were, were okay. But we got slammed, (laughs) absolutely annihilated. And all the people, you know, like Jeff Barton and all the people that, you know, gotten behind us and and, and were encouraging on the first record, they knew right away. They smelt a rat. We'd lost our vibe. We'd lost our mojo. Yeah. And and, uh, it's very sad. Um, It was was a, a... as I said, it was only two years. It was, it was, but it was amazing. It was, it was so much happened. It put us on the map. Um, it got us in, in, involved in, in being around other musicians. We learned the touring and, and uh, fantastic times. But um, yeah, we, we, we learned that was definitely the hard way. And, and, you know, Phil mentions, Phil Collin mentions that, you know, it's a shame that we didn't have like, the kind of management Def Leppard had, like Q Prime or, or, or somebody that really knew what they were doing. We were on our own. And, and Don, Don Arden and Jet didn't give a fuck because they were so wrapped up in uh, Electric Light Orchestra. They just, uh, they just signed us to, 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 to keep Brit quiet, I guess. And, and, and you know, <laughs> may, maybe, maybe we might get something going, you know, you never know. Um, but no, they, they, would abs- they were disappointed that, that Sheer Greed didn't have a big hit on it and we'd already become quite kind of a handful because we weren't thrilled about the, the direction they wanted us to go in. And so, yeah, it, it ended, it started beautifully, blissfully and, and it ended uh, real bad. And uh, yeah. It's kind of odd how, how you can look back on it and, and say there were a couple of good songs, wasn't really happy with most of it. And then in the next album, there were a few good songs but I really wasn't happy with it as a whole. And then mm. 
me on this side, I can put them on and they take me to a time and a place, which is exactly what an album should do, which was wonderful. I mean, I love strawberries. I think that's a yeah, great I, that's one. I, I like that too. Um, yeah, I mean, I've got to say that the vibe on, on the first one, on, on Sheer Greed, is, is, is great. And, you know, stuff like strawberries. And, you know, we were just, just being like cocky little bastards, really. And, but that's and, what and, you wear. Yeah, and that too. And, and we, yeah, we were, were uh, and but we were having fun, you know, and, and, and that was, that was uh, the, 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 the direction they wanted us to go uh, was, wasn't fun. It, it, yeah. There was nothing fun about it. It was, it was bleak. It was, um, you know, it was grim. It was like, you know, uh, working class. And, and, and we're not posh by any means. Me, Phil or Jerry, absolutely couldn't be further from the truth but we didn't aspire to look like we'd been raised in the garden we like we liked we had a little bit more of a mod sensibility to us yeah. than than that so you know it's, it, it is what it is you know it, i don't think um had we i don't know if we could have even functioned without the new wave of British heavy metal, if we would have had any relevance at all, it was just, we got lumped into it, like, you know, Elvis and the police got lumped into it, and that's what got the thing rolling. Uh, it, it just, it, but at this point, you know, the wheels, wheels are just about to come off, which they did, and I'm glad when they did. I mean, it, it's, I've been, I was in a band for 10 years we, who went nowhere, so I kind of, I understand how you have band members who are your best friend, and you also hate them for what you what you went through together or the disagreements or the dreams and your vision yeah. is different than theirs and so on. But it's just stuff, right? In hindsight, it's just stuff that got you where you were going. No regrets. Absolutely none whatsoever. Uh, I was a little, uh, I wasn't quite sure what to do with myself when it was, when it was truly over. Um, in, Before in we 80- move on from girl though, you have yeah. to tell me you know, getting kicked off the Kiss tour story. It wasn't even a tour. It was wasn't three it? date. No, it was. It wasn't a tour. It was three dates. Um, it was one day uh, in Bingley Hall in Birmingham, uh, and then it was two dates in Wembley Arena. So we played Bingley, and and um, the crowd pretty much hated us. Um, the, the pre, you know, the press had, weren't kind at that point, and and they were already just, we were already like, you know, had a big target on our back, and then this was the time, the glorious time of when fans would piss into bottles and throw them up on stage uh, to show their appreciation, and, and that's if they liked a band. Um, it was it was it, it was bad. I mean, it, we were just shouldn't have been on that on that bill. Uh, I, I was like, I, 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 at one point I was out there and I, they, I, some, they were booing or yelling at us. I said, and I looked down and I went and I just, just looked at somebody and I said, shut the fuck up. And you've never heard 10,000 people growl <laughs> in, u- in unison like that. The whole fucking building shook. It's like, Rrr. and if they could have got hold of me, they would have torn me limb from limb. Um, so then, so the yeah, the next shows were in um, in in London uh, at Wembley Arena, uh, and so we showed up on Friday, Friday and Saturday, and you know we like um, uh, our sound check, and we can, can we can we um, do something? You know, can we play? Uh, and they're like, uh, well, no, we, we you can't set up just yet. I so said we're, we're we're kind of busy. I said, well, what's what were you doing? And what they were doing is Diana Ross was dating Gene Simmons at the time, and she was fucking around on his suspension cable thing, flying around the stage. And that was more important than getting the opening band on and getting us set up. We, we, we were running like literally minutes before they opened the doors, and she's fucking around, like swinging around and shit. And, and uh, the Kiss crew were really, really as in- incredibly unhelpful, hostile, and aggressive uh oh and yeah this is good in bingley uh oh no just just before we play i get summoned into the dressing room and gene simmons is 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 wants to lecture me 
Um, so he's looking at me through his mirror while he's putting his makeup on. And he goes, uh, our songs are like our children. And uh, we don't want you to do Do You Love Me in the set. And I was like, well, you know, our songs are like our children too. It's, it's a song that we, you know, it's, we don't have many songs, Gene. I said, we only, we only know nine, ten songs. <laughs> um, and, and, and so he says, well, you know, I, I don't want you to play it. But, of course, we did play it. We went out, we did play it. There's nothing going to stop us from playing because that's, that's all we knew. So he's already pissed off at me. And so we show, so we knew, we knew better than to show up the next day. Right. So we didn't. And I'm sitting in a Chinese restaurant on Kensington High Street and it's pissing down with rain. I'm sitting there with Bryson Graham, the drummer. And, and, look, and I look at this, Brillo, it's pissing down. We're supposed to be on Wembley right now. We're supposed to be on stage at Wembley Arena. And we're sitting here like a couple of losers in a Chinese <laughs> restaurant. And yeah, so yeah, it was all made, they made a big deal about it, us walking off the tour. No, we just didn't bother showing because we were just being treated so bad. Honestly, at this point, you know, we just, we were whipped, you know, everyone was kicking the shit out of us. There was, we didn't have any, 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 any support. We had nothing from the label. We had nothing from the fans. We had nothing from the press. It it was a shit show. For what it's worth, we never saw any of that. No, I know. And it's amazing. People like yourself say that, you know, they were at that, you know, Bingley and, and they go, oh, you were absolutely fantastic. And I said, well, didn't you hear them booing and spitting? He's like, no, 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 we were just watching you. So I think people have ten, can, can um, uh, drown it out. I, I, you know, I saw Japan open for Blue Oyster Cult at, oh, Hammersmith, really? at, at Hammersmith Odeon. Uh, and I got a taste of what was, what, what was in for me, in for us. The, the, the crowd... They were such cunts. They they were just David Sylvian's up there doing his you know obscure alternatives, and they're fucking yelling and they're spitting and they're just carrying on like fucking primates. It was absolutely embarrassing. Uh, and Dave Sylvian, to to his credit, stood his ground, finished the song, and they all silently walked off. And everyone's like, yeah, "We won." And it was like, wow, that, 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 that's, that's, I wouldn't know what to do if that happened to me. Oh, I sure learned quick. <laughs> <laughs> that's a strange pair in Japan and Blue Oyster Cult. It, it was terrible. You know, it was, it was, yeah, it was, you know, like management had put that together and, and uh, yeah, I saw that and, oh my God, they, 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 they the, the punters were merciless. Absolutely. It was, it was heartbreaking to see that. Wow. Thanks for that. I don't know, does it hurt at all? Did you ever? No, no, not at all. And in many ways... As time uh, I the wound. It's kind of, yeah, yeah, it's kind of a relief. You know, um, I think it would have been a bit of a curse if, if, if say, Girl had hit the jackpot and, and say, been, been as, big de- as big as Def Leppard. Uh, I still had a lot of growing to do. I had a lot of growing up to do. Um, and, and I think that... Um, that kind of mega success can actually be very detrimental and stunt your growth, mm. stunt emotional growth. Uh, I've seen, we see, you know, like look at Tommy Lee, look at Vince Neil, you know, they're just like, they're, they're like they're children trapped in old men's bodies. Um, and and in, in many ways it was, it was tough, but I'm a warrior, you know, and I was like, okay. And I dealt with it and, you know, I went into, in, in, into the, into the void, into the cold, bandless record dealless and um uh, getting getting well into my 20s getting into my mid to late 20s and and as far as i was concerned the clock was running out you know it wasn't i didn't i didn't see how much um i didn't see much much future on the horizon that's the funny state of mind that us us musicians i'm not in your league but it's a funny state of mind that you get into with that ticking clock, isn't it? And you're like, wow. Oh, yeah. Jim yeah, was exactly. dead at 28. Um, best get moving. Oh, yeah, sure, exactly. And um, uh, I, I'd done, I was put, put together a couple of musical ideas, but, you know, nothing was really making me happy. Uh, and uh, yeah, I, I put together this, this band with Rudy Riviere, um, who was a 
brilliant, brilliant guitar player at the time. Um, he really was one of the first English guitar players to master the hammer on Van Halen thing, um, which, you know, we were all incredible. Ooh, ooh, let's, let's put that in all our songs. Um, and, uh, a couple of guys from a local band called 720, um, and we put together a band called New Torpedoes. We, we did a couple of recording sessions. We played Dingwalls and Marky a couple of times. It was, it was, it was okay. It was very, very cookie cutter. You yeah. know, like we were all, you know, all going for the, you know, the shitty uh, Def Leppard Simmons drum sound. Boom, yeah. boom, boom. You know, everything had to be along those lines and um, wasn't, wasn't terribly happy with it. Uh, just sort of going through the motions and certainly not making any money. It's, it certainly wasn't a profession. It was just just that kind of like, uh, what else do we do? And, I, found, and yeah. I, found the, um, I found the demos on YouTube today. They're all there. Yeah. Which yeah, surprised they, me. Yeah, no, it's fantastic, you know. And it's funny because I went to all that trouble, you know. I, I, I've kept all those demos. I kept all the cassettes and everything. And I needn't have bothered, you know. And I've traveled around the world i've moved i've like 50 100 different places um since then and i've always made a point dragging them around and i said i needn't have bothered i can just look them up on youtube now <laughs> um so yeah i'm sitting in the wilderness lost in the wilderness and then um then i i finally get a break i get a call from bernie tormey which brings us on to stage two yeah yeah tormey was Bang on the money for me. That 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 caught me right place, right time. Back to Babylon came out. And yeah. oddly, or not oddly, I actually saw you guys live on ECT. Do you remember that? Yeah, I sure do. Um, I went two weeks on the run, um, making my 300-mile trek from Wales with my paper round your, money. Your I, pilgrimage. I am going to this show. Fantastic, yeah. Good attitude. Because... How else did you see? You know, no, you know, nobody toured North Wales. No, you were no, all stuck right. in the marquee. That that circuit was was well wrapped up. Right. Full of ground. I mean, you know, we might we might play Tivoli, perhaps you know once in a while, but that would be as far as we got uh, to close to you. Uh, for the most part, it was the London, Birmingham, Manchester. Yeah, that that was an eye opener. Tommy, Tommy was a was a good band, but again, the press weren't particularly kind. Not really. Uh, you know, the press weren't bad. The, 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 first of all, when he, he, he said, would I be interested? I said, I don't know, you know? And he, so he said, look, I'm going to send you over a cassette of some stuff and, and uh, check it out and let me know what you think. And it did. And he sent me over. I still have the cassette. And I was like, listening to it in the bath, and I was like, fuck, this is good. This is really, really solid um, three-piece um, band. It was just Bernie, a bass player, and a drummer. And, and it was so tight. And, and, and I'd never done anything like that before. Never done, an, you know, like to be an integral part of a band like that, uh, uh, where, where the pieces fit. Um, and yeah, it was like this, I knew right away from the first rehearsal, from the first gig, we did the gigs, the place erupted. We nailed it, you know, like songs like Mystery Train and um, Baby Loves a Vampire. Yeah, fantastic. We sounded good. We had the punters. We didn't really have the press. The press and, and, and the industry were enamored with Boy George, Duran Duran, Bucks, Fizz, it was rock and roll was the antithesis of, yep. of, of what uh, we, we should have got a good, a decent record deal on A&M and, and they were interested and, and Dave Rosen, the guy at the time, he's just like, I'm sorry, you know, we love the band, we, we just, we can't do anything with it because we, we, the radio is not going to touch it. Uh, media is not interested. It's just just people have moved on. They don't want the rock. They want they want pop. They want sort of crossover, um, spandau ballet kind of. You know, like they want the, the pretty boys with the haircuts. And so um, that got really frustrating. 
being that good and selling out all our shows um, and and uh, putting out that great record, Back to Babylon. And I, I have a theory. I, I don't honestly think that, you know, around that time, I think if, if Guns N' Roses had been in London yep. trying to get something together, get something going, and, and it's not that far-fetched because there are many American bands have had success uh, in England prior to, to hitting it in the States. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jimmy, Jimi Hendrix comes to mind. Uh, Stray Cats come to mind. They were big in England before they, they broke in the States. Um, had that been the case, I don't think a, a label would have had the guts to sign them. I really don't. It's just, just like, because they were just, it was impossible. It was impenetrable. Um, so that, that was the death knell of the band when we knew that there, there was only so far that we could go. But musically, I'd learned so much from Bernie and Chris, Chris Harmon, um, and I just really, um, really enjoyed and, and I'm incredibly proud of practically everything. Well, Bernie that, was kind of like, um, Mick Ronson with more knobs on his guitar. That's how yeah. I always saw Bernie. He was like that. Wow. There's so much depth going on here. And he was, he was such a good guitar player. Just, he was, he's he brilliant. A, a great songwriter. He reminded me of a, uh, sort of a, a sort of a, a trippy, a tripped out Rory Gallagher. Um, he had this, he had the same chops as Rory played the same guitar. Uh, had the same vibe, but he was a bit more ethereal, a bit more Hawkwind uh, in his in his <laughs> in his approach to songs. Um, and I I just loved him. I, I loved him so much. And God, he was funny, and I loved being in this band. And I really felt from you know from the from the the kicking that I'd got in Girl, I, I really felt good. I felt like justified that yeah, see, and I felt like you know it was for me. That, that that tour me was a big um, comeback era for me personally, uh, and and uh, you know, I can't thank Bernie enough and Chris enough for for for, for let, getting me on board, and uh, I was really keen to to do it and and make it sound great, and and it did it did sound great. It was it, it was a great it was a great band, and uh, but you know just just the the, the frustration of the fact that. We couldn't, you know, we, we, we put out Back to Babylon. We basically self-financed that. So we really needed a bit of help on a second record from a label. Um, and nothing, no one would touch us. So it, it got frustrating. Um, we, we, we'd bicker about money and, and, you know, how much we were getting for gigs. And we kind of lost the, lost the plot. Um, and, and it was, I, I, the writing was on the wall. I, I could see that, you know, it wasn't going to get anywhere. And, and, and at this point I'm really at my late twenties, I'm about like 28 or 29. And I'm like, this is it. You're fucked Lewis. This is your, you, you are absolutely done. And, and I, I remember I got to see pictures, photos for my 30th birthday and, and half of the people that showed up, um, to my birthday party, uh, my birthday presents were like a little, little um, paper sachet in my hand containing either coke or heroin, and and that was it. It was bleak. I was just like, oh fuck, um, I, I don't want to be thirty. And and out in the fucking blue, um, Alan Jones calls me, the English bloke uh, who was the sax player in Aiming Corner, uh, who moved out to LA and opened a bunch of boutiques on Melrose Avenue, um, was managing this band called LA guns that I heard of them. And, and, uh, you know, like the LA scene was just blowing up and, um, they need a singer and would I be interested and, uh, blah, blah, blah. And, 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 uh, he's like, you know, I said, yeah, it sounds great. You know, and I, I got the cassette and, and, and the picture, and he goes, do you like, like it? And I go, yeah. And he goes, well, you know, how soon can you come out? I said, well, how about tomorrow? So, yeah, he got me a ticket. And it, this was about April 1986, 87. Just, just, just a dash after my 30th birthday. 
And I couldn't have been more wrong. I, I thought life was over and it had really just begun. Was it? I, I guess it was, um, how can I put it? Um, fortuitous, maybe, that you did all your growing up thousands of miles away. I mean, most of them probably maybe had heard of Torme, but most of it was probably in secret, right? You could probably wander around LA and no one would know what you were talking about. No, it's true. Not but Torme wasn't uh, very well known. However, girl were huge in, oh, I guess, uh, under, in underground. Right. Um, and that whole West Hollywood vibe, even though uh, nothing had ever been officially released uh, in the States, it was everywhere, but you know, like all, and everybody loved it. You know, like the, 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 the Guns N' Roses guys loved it. And, you know, like Girl, Hanoi Rocks. Um, these were the bands that the, 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 uh, the rockers were listening to uh, in, in Hollywood uh, just, just, just before it blew up. So, so that's kind it, of a bit of a coup for, for LA Guns then. It's, it, yeah, it certainly was. Um, but, but, you know, uh, ironically, um, as I said, you know, going from t- being with Torme, with Bernie, I'd, I'd, I'd learned so much and developed technically um, as a musician. And, and, and I was like, I was so ready to, to take that knowledge and, and, and experience and do something and take it to another level. And then when I spoke to Tracy, Tracy Guns, he's like, oh, no, mate, I want you to be Phil Lewis from Girl. So it was like I had to regress. You know, they said, no, just be that. Just be that punky, spiky, pineapple, cheeky, lovable um, London guy. And, and, and that, that's what we want. And, and um, that's what I did. And, and, it, and it worked. You know, I never pretended to be American. I, I still don't, even though I've actually been here longer than I was there. Um, and I have wonderful memories of that those days and and i do cherish them but uh i i i, I could never imagine living in england it's a different england now of course isn't yeah it? yeah it's, so so yeah it, I, you know I, i'd be like i'd be so um I, it'd be just so depressing uh so i'm just I'm quite happy here in the states what would be i don't know I, I was knee deep in the la scene I, it was my thing at that time yeah from from bottom to top trading demo cassettes you know things like bands like love hate before they were love hate we shipped yeah. them around the world in there jet boy yeah yeah oh uh, you know when i for the first night i got into town they took me out tracy took me out to see some band live band see what the scene was all about well, and i saw jet <laughs> i saw jet boy and and just thinking about it gives me goosebumps they were so good they were inc- so incredibly incredibly good and and just like fat, huge, fantastic sound. Sadly, the, the the albums that they made never captured their live strength. They, they were brutal. They were just monsters live. And, and and you know, sadly, the record. If the records had of just captured a bit more of how they sounded live, I think they would have been massive. But yeah, it was a great scene. There were lots of great. Love hate was was huge. Uh, Bang tango. Um, faster pussycat all this stuff was going it was a new new world for me and it's just like i honestly felt like i died and gone to heaven you know just being at such a a, a miserable low point uh in in rainy london um just you know at the, at the threshold of my 30s um it was it was a, it was a real gift from the rock and roll gods let me tell you and, and, you know, and I, I can't, even to this day, I, you know, me and Tracy, we've had our ups and downs and we've had arguments, but, you know, I, I, I've got a big debt of gratitude. He did change my life. He dragged me out. And I, I don't know. I mean, you know, I look at that, 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 look at, uh, I'm sure you've seen um, the wretched state of Paul Diano he's in right now. He's just uh, trying to get money for a knee operation and, you know, him, Paul and I were about the same age, same generation. And, you know, yeah. I wonder, I wonder, you know, if I'd stayed, is, is that what I would have been my prospect? You know, you know, diabetic, you know, strung out. But you didn't. Yeah. No, no, I kept rolling. You rode and, the and, pony. Yeah, that's right. And, and um, you know, as, without, you know, being, too, rock and roll has been my salvation. It saved me every time. 
uh, right from the start of my career, right the way to now. And, and it was, it's, it's the thing that everybody warned us most about, oh, you can't do it. You don't stand a chance. The odds are so stacked against you and, and all of that. Um, and just, 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 just plowed on through. Um, Tracy had good heritage anyway. Oh yeah. He's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, you know, and he, he was absolutely destined for great things. I mean, he had been learning to play guitar since he was seven years old, seven or eight years old. Um, him and Slash were buddies. They went to the same high school, Fairfax high school. And, um, yeah, that, that, that was when, you know, rather like they every every year, like a, a, a certain a, 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 an elite group of attorneys graduate from university and they're snapped up, or or surgeons, and and and, and in this case, it was guitar players, and and it was it was absolutely obvious that both Slash and Tracy had huge futures ahead of them, as long as they didn't fuck up. And I guess I guess I guess everyone in LA fucked up. Somehow, some way, it was inevitable that it, it was strange because the bands just kept on coming. Well, that's what happens in bubbles, you know, and 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 that was, you know, just the writing on the wall. You know, there were so many of these bands, and you know, the hair was getting bigger, the teeth were getting bigger, and you know, it was getting more and more schmaltzy, and 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 all these new bands. I mean. It, it was, you know, poison was the blueprint. Everyone wanted to, you know, look like poison. They wanted to be pretty with, you know, big, clean, white teeth. And, you know, guns a little bit grittier than that. You know, even the leather jackets, the greasy hair. And so um, we, 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 once again, we got, <laughs> got lumped into, into what wasn't, what didn't exist, term didn't exist. It was just metal then. Mm. But we got lumped, we got lumped into hair metal somehow or other, um, and you know, I mean, there, there were moments we we, do, we we were doing the do, but we I never can really considered us a hair metal the same way that you know, like uh, Warren or, or Poison or Slaughter. No, you were um, just the rock and roll band. That's the, right. The great, yeah, rock and roll band. Yeah, like that, that, yeah, like that's what we want. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's what. But what, that, that was our objective. That must have been, I mean, the whole Guns N' Roses story is well documented 900 times around the world. Yeah. But they took off so fast and so widespread. Could you have handled it as LA Guns? Um, or are you glad they are, that it kind they, of went what, what a little they, bit slower? What they were and what they are is a phenomenon. And... Uh, when you when you're a phenomenon, you 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 create your own tide, and and um, they had already you know by the time I got to LA in '86 '87, they'd already blown up, and they weren't. Occasionally, they they'd be back in town, but for the most part, they were gone. They were touring. Um, they were you know being doing their own shows in uh, in Japan or going out with the Rolling Stones or whatever. So it was pretty much our town. <laughs> That's um, them out of the way. Excellent. Yeah, that, it, it was pretty much. Um, uh, you know, it could, it could, yeah, we could. I, I, I certainly could have handled it uh, being, you know, being after what I'd been through with Girl and Torme, I was e de definitely had the, uh, the, uh, emotional uh, fortitude to be able to deal with that. Uh, it, it didn't happen, but it's okay. We did great. And, you know, we, we got gold records on the wall and, and, you know, it changed our lives and uh, has to this day. But so, what you've got is something better because, you know, like the, the GNR candle, are their own tribute band at the moment. And you are not. You've got that longevity thing. I know you've had your ups and downs, but these last two or three albums. Well, it's actually the last. Um, it's from the um, the reunion. Yeah, uh, sounds like you mean it. Yeah, and and you know it was like when I came back when I decided I was going to work with them again. 
after 15 years, um, I felt, I really felt like we didn't have a moment to, to lose. We, we needed to get right back and, and not fuck around. And he had so many ideas and he, Devet Tracy had developed and, and, and he, he, it was, it was great. It was great to be back. He had this fantastic band. He had Shane playing drums, Johnny playing bass. Um, and, and we put something together real quickly and, and it sounded great. And the LA, the, the classic stuff sounded great and authentic and the new stuff was compelling and, 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 and really, um, inspired me. I, I'm, you know, like money doesn't really make that much difference. You know, it is, you got enough, you got enough. Um, at this point, I'm not doing, not doing anything for the money, but I, you know, like to be, uh, inspired, uh, musically and to be excited about going in the studio and be excited about like, like this cannonball song. So like we've never played it live. Uh, it, it was written in isolation. It was recorded in isolation. We all recorded it in our, not in our bedrooms, but in our studios. Yeah. Um, and, and so it, it's just going to be phenomenal when we do get together. I think we've got a few weeks, two or three weeks. We, we come out in November. The record drops in November, and then we're going to do a bunch of shows in the L.A., Vegas area um, just, just, just to get our feet wet again. Um, but I'm really, really looking forward to Cannonball playing it live for the first time with the band and then playing it for the first time live with the band in front of punters. Um, and just knowing, you know, it's such a smash. It's such, such an immediate, it just grabs you. That song is fantastic. And, you know, I'm going to do the whole, all the antics, you know, with the dressing up as the pirate, yeah. pull, pulling the wig off and all of that. Um, it, it's going to be a romp and it's going to be around November, December. So it's going to have a Halloween pantomime vibe to it. Um, I'm looking forward to, to getting back out, having some fun. Just for the record here, um, the new album's called Checkered Past. Checkered and Past, right. Cannonball is the, should we call it the lead single? The first? Yeah, the, well, it's the opening song on the record, and it, now it's going to be the opening song in the set. And the, the video's up and around on, on YouTube. Yeah, you can want to check it, it out. Yeah, look it up, yeah. I think it's your best song since uh, Hellraiser's Ball. Which no, I good. Love. Yeah, yeah, we we like that too. Uh, that's in our set. We're going to be playing that. Um, Speed was pretty good. Yep, Speed's a good song. Well, that's in our set. Um, but there's there's some great stuff on. You're this not new short one. of material to fill a set. Oh no, no. In fact, that's our problem is we've got too much of it. Uh, especially we have a uh, a summer tour lined up. Um, we're going out with Tom Kiefer. Um, the, 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 the guy from Cinderella for people that don't know, um, it's going to be a three package. It's going to be faster pussycat LA guns and Tom Kiefer just playing sheds and theaters around, uh, summertime, a, a fun summer tour. And we get, we're basically being given a, a 60 minute set scratching our heads. We don't know what to do in 60 <laughs> minutes. We've got so much stuff. Yeah. We could easily play two hours. So we're learning, you know, enough songs for a two-hour set, but obviously we're not going to play that every night. Uh, just like the Stones, we're going to pick and choose what songs. But we're going to do, um, we're going to have a go at uh, a song called It's Over Now, which was sort of a kind of a hit single video kind of a thing that we never played live. We've never done it live. We've never uh, played it in front of a crowd. So it's for a song that, you know, did relatively well um extremely well in today's standards um we're yeah, there's you know we're gonna have some fun uh, uh we're gonna do let you down from this new record as well oh and and uh we're actually gonna do three uh, we're not sure we'll do i'm not sure we'll do three every night but the uh get along sort of acoustic um i'm gonna send you this stuff later okay that'd be great um and and you know what i'm talking about but yeah, as, as uh, all LA Guns record, it's very diverse. Every song sounds completely different from the next. There, there, there's, there's no central theme. A lot of bands do, and they're really good at it and have great success at it, but it's never been us. We always like to keep it interesting, keep it different for ourselves. And, and that's, uh, 
and that right there is Japan following you through the yeah. whole of your career. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, you know. I wish. It, I, 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 yeah, you know, and it, it, it cracks me up. You know, I look, I looked up to them and just worshipped and revered them. But you know, in terms of success, I've I've done infinitely better. I've done pretty good, you know, for for a kid from London. Um, mm. You know, good. like you're not bad. You know, I, I I'm pretty happy with it. You know, for the most part. Um, and yeah, it's it's a good legacy, I think. Um, and and I'm I'm proud of it. Uh, we we didn't I didn't sell out. There was a couple of things like Juliet um, from Girl that that uh, was the song that Don Arden insisted. The selling got, out I'll, really. I got your hit. I got your hit here. Uh, well, it's imagine it, it, it's it's a Russ uh, Ballard song. Imagine giving David Sylvian a Russ Ballard song and go, well, here you go, mate. Yeah, okay. I'll go with you on that. <laughs> so, yeah, but we did it and, and, and it sucked and it was awful. And, but, you know, it, it's just, you know. But that's you the learn. business, right? It's business. the business. And, and, and I've got to say, yeah, um, during this, this, this downtime, this quarantine time, I've been reading a lot of books, a lot of books uh, from um, icons from the 70s, Peter Grant, uh, uh, Peter Frampton, Steve Marriott, um, I just finished Don Arden's book and it was a who I really, really enjoyed it. Um, I've got Elton John's book going and I just got Pete Way's book. So it, all these people that were huge influences in the seventies for me, I'm just really, really getting right into the psyche and hey, I'm really had a shit ride. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. It, you know, it wasn't, uh, I was by no means unique, uh, to me and, uh, it's good to know. Yeah, before you go, because we've done an hour. Actually, speaking of, of, of what uh, Pete Way, um, I've recorded a couple of songs just after finishing Checkered Past. Uh, I got contacted by his his wife uh, asking if I'd be um, willing, if I could, would I be up for doing uh, a, a, they got a record, uh, Mike Klink's producing a record um, that should be out I imagine should be out like early next year. Um, and it was a couple of songs that, that you can clearly hear that it's, 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 it's Pete and it's his style, his nuance. Uh, and, and it's fun. I, I, I hope that uh, if, if, if it surfaces and you hear it, let me know what you think. All righty. I will. They were the UFO were the first band I saw live. God, they were amazing. They were, they were so just so good. amazing. Uh, you know, we're he- heavily influenced on girl because there again, you know, every song they did was different. You know, there, there wasn't uh, a central theme. Like their first five albums are a massive uh, pile of shit. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's you know, back then is that's when they had A and R, artist and development. You know, they they would sign a band and expect that it would be three or four records before uh, yeah. they found their feet. And, and that was very much the case with UFO. I got involved. I, I, I got on board with them just around the Strangers record, you know, the live record. Um, and that's when I was told, that, hey, this is band UFO and you guys are going on tour with them. What do you think? And I was like, wow, these guys are amazing. I loved it. Such a good band. And good guys too. Yeah. They've had their share of stories. Yeah, sure did. Two or three things, two or three things before you disappear. <laughs> I right. found out today that you released a solo album that I'd never, ever heard of. Yeah. It's great. It's all right. Was that just kind of like a fit? Oh, I've got nothing else to do. Let's just. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I've got to do something. I was, yeah, it was, uh, you know, at that point uh, when I left LA Guns, um, I, I didn't. You know, well, after um, Vicious Circle came out and it did nothing and, and we did nothing, nobody was interested. Uh, I just kind of um, got into engineer recording. I just, I bought like an eight track reel to reel tape recorder and a mixer. Well, like an old cam thing. Yeah, I taught myself how to record and I started um, doing demos band demos I, I i converted my my garage into a studio and um just became a recording engineer and 
recording demos for local bands and very different types of music, some jazz music, some hip-hop, some rock. Uh, nothing that ever went on to do anything. Uh, but it was, it was something I really, really enjoyed. And, and it got me on a, uh, on a, a personal level with, with not necessarily working musicians, but, but passionate musicians um, at that time on my level, because I wasn't making any money either. And uh, it was just, I had the equipment, I had the facilities. So I just, I would like put together something in the morning, sit in the balcony and write a song. Uh, Oasis were on fire at that time. So it was real simple to start, sit there and write something like Wonderwall or something. And, and, you know, and I had, I had some drummer friend who I'd recorded his band. And so I had plenty of musicians, a good pool to, to choose from. And I'd, I'd write the song in the morning and record it uh, that night. And before I knew it, I, I'd, I'd compiled a record. And uh, I was like, okay, let's see if anyone's interested. And I got a, a, a record deal from a very obscure label in Japan who, who agreed to, 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 to put it out. And they pressed up, I don't know how many copies, but it came out. It was called El Nino then. Um, right. And then... And then um, it, that floated around, didn't really do anything. And then I got approached by Brian um, Pereira from Cleopatra, who said, well, who, who, what's this, who owns this? And I hadn't signed anything with the, the Japanese label. He goes, well, I'll put it out. So he put it out, but it was called more, we changed the title. We changed it to more purple than black. But it's the same record um, with just different packaging and a different title. Uh, and that yeah, it came around at that time, just when I was recording and engineering other bands. Okay. And then the other thing I need to touch on, which we've conveniently missed out, is Filthy Luca, because I oh, heard, wow, yeah, I heard that album for the first time this morning. I knew I knew you'd done it. I managed to you never miss heard it. it before. Yeah, never heard it before. Fuck, it's, it's so good. It's so good. Yeah, um, I've been, and you've got a lot uh, of history there. Yeah, sure. Uh, it's Steve Dior. And I put Filthy Luke together. Um, now, when I was recording um, the vocals for Vicious Circle in L.A. Um, at that time, Steve and I were real close. We were really good friends and we were playing together. Um, and he was he coming down the studio and helping me a lot with the vocals and with the writing. So it was during that time when L.A. Guns uh, couldn't be in a room together. Yeah. Like we had to be like, you know, Tracy had the studio from a certain time and then I'd have mine certain books certain times. And, and, you know, we just, it was just weird. We just really, really didn't like each other. Um, we'd been pulled and stretched and just, we didn't know what was going on. So we took it out on each other. Um, when we really should have been like more, cohesive more brotherly we were actually the opposite but so steve and i would be sitting in the studio with hours to kill <laughs> so we we just started we said that fuck it let's do an album so it was an album that was recorded on la guns dime in la guns studio at the same time we were recording vicious circle um and just having fun oh my god he is character you know the the stories you know because he was his band in london with the london cowboys yeah. And he played played with Sid Vicious. He played with Johnny Thunders. Real, um, like, talk about credibility. This so so connected and so funny and and really incredibly talented. And we're still really really good friends. Uh, and yeah, that was something. Uh, it was it was a lot of fun. And and I, it would have been a dream come true. Because I knew LA Guns. I mean, the writing was on the wall. You know, they'd already told us, even if we gave them, if we delivered something yeah. like The Dark Side of the Moon, the band was still doomed. It was like nobody wanted to touch what we were. It was, I've been through so many of these bubbles. They usually last about two years. Uh, and you go in, it's all great. And at the end, it's, uh, you're, 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 you're shredded to pieces. Um, and, and that was the same thing at the end of the LA guns, you know? So I was hoping that filthy Luca might do something, but it, it really didn't. It sort of fizzled out. And, um, no, it's strange. Cause I mean, I was knee deep in it and I missed it. So what the yeah. hell chance did anyone else then? 
But um, it's, yeah. it's, 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 yeah, the album's that whole called, uh, Pop Smear. Pop Smear, yeah. And if it's a lot of fun. Find it. Yeah, yeah. You can find it on YouTube. Oh, yeah, yeah. But it's um, it's a, a gem. Un, un, Thank you. Undiscovered. Yeah. No, I, I love working with him, with Steve and, and, and uh, on that, particularly on that album. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah, it's great. Uh, stay in touch. Uh, I, I I've got your email. I'm going to send you a link um, that I want you just to keep to yourself um, uh, of the of the rest of the record, and let me know what you think. And uh, I've got to we'll say, definitely... it sounds from the three tracks I've heard, it sounds um, like 1987 again. Yeah, and sounds so clued yeah. in and meaning what you're bringing just it was it, it, honestly when everyone else was sitting at home just not knowing what to do with themselves i, I i've never been busier i uh, this during this this pandemic this year uh, 18 months off not not so much now because it's done but it was it was great having that to do you know having you know vocals to to compile and and record because i ended up recording it in my house too so i i had to rehone my engineering skills. So, um, <laughs> I saw yeah, that you built yourself a vocal booth in the, uh, under, under the, stairs, under the yeah. stairs. Yeah. I kicked out Harry Potter and, and I put a microphone in there. Got to be done. It has to be done. 